Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Meaningful, 23 Life-Changing Stories of Conquering Dieting, Weight, and Body Image Issues is a blend of motivational self-help, memoir, psychology, and health and wellness. Ali Spots de Lazur is a licensed marriage and family therapist, an expert in eating and body image issues, and a woman on the other side of her own decades-long struggle with food and body. A 702 billion-dollar global diet, nutrition, and weight loss industry shows that people worldwide are devoted to achieving maximum health and their desired bodies. Yet mainstream approaches are failing these individuals, and sadly, science proves this. Intent on gaining the health and happiness that diets promise, consumers keep trying. They become sad and frustrated, believing they're failing when they're not, They simply need a legitimate alternative path, which Meaningful offers. Through the contributors' diverse, real-life mini-memoirs, followed by Spots de Lazare's commentaries, readers will learn about themselves and discover their unique, unconventional formulas for conquering their issues. Along the way, Meaningful will also guide them towards more self-appreciation, wellness, and fulfillment. This is Elizabeth Cronin, a host of New Books and Psychology, a podcast channel of the New Books Network. Today, I'm very happy to be talking with Ali Spots de Lazare about her new book, Meaningful, 23 Life-Changing Stories of Conquering Dieting, Weight, and Body Image Issues. Thanks so much for being here, Ali. Thank you for inviting me. So we were chatting a little bit before we started. uh, And so, you know, I'd like to kind of open it up by asking you a little bit about yourself and about how you came to write this book. You got it. Um, Currently, I am a licensed marriage and family therapist, licensed professional clinical counselor, certified eating disorder specialist, and CEDS supervisor with a private practice in Los Angeles. That's a mouthful. (laughs) Um, I'm also the creator of something very dear to my heart that rolls into the story, which is something called Shake It for Self-Acceptance. And it's a flash mob that embodies its message. And it has been an absolutely beautiful journey. Um, Would you ask about the origin of this book? I've been thinking about this a lot and it goes way back to the seed was planted during a treatment team conversation. This dietitian and I were talking and suddenly both of us just got really real as people. And we said to each other, you know, gosh, I wish somebody had told me blah when I was sick. And for, cause I had an eating disorder, she had had an eating disorder. 
And um, the book's not necessarily about eating disorders, which we'll go into later. But it was so interesting that the two of us thought, gosh, you know, we may have made different decisions if somebody had said or shared some information with us way back. Now, we may have done the same thing, but still that it just wasn't out there. So the seed was planted there and that stuck in my head. And so I kept thinking about that. And I reached out to a publisher and I said, what if we did a whole bunch of what I learned stories? Because I'm thinking, gosh, you know, how do we educate? How do we help people learn without them feeling preached at or educated? And he was like, nah, it's never going to work. It's too short. They can't, people won't bite into the triumph part of it. You know, he didn't use those words, but I was like, hmm. Okay, fine. So I huffed away and I'm like, a few years went past and oh, so sorry about that. I'm going to turn all of my dings off. (laughs) So a few years went past and uh, Shake It for Self-Acceptance had existed. And Shake It for Self-Acceptance is a flash mob that sparks conversations about self-acceptance. What's in your way of self-acceptance? Is it a mental health issue? Is it confidence? Is it shyness? Is what is in your way? Because I want to get those conversations started through fun. And what I learned through Shake It is that people really were open to information once they were in a space of joy and positivity versus a lot of mental health events, you know, talk about the pain and the pain and the pain. And that's fine. But for, for me, I just wanted to do this experiment about could we teach through joy? And I learned we really could. It was so fun. We've been all over the U.S. done, you know, an opening of a pedestrian bridge where an entire town came out and they were all like little ones were dancing to grandparents age were dancing. And at the end, the coordinator gave everyone in the um, town uh, letters to their body, appreciation letters. We were on Capitol Hill during a lobby day. I mean, it, we've been at the Staples Center for LA Sparks basketball game right before COVID. Three days before COVID, we were supposed to dance on the court of Clippers. And I thought, what an amazing space and platform to get people talking about self-acceptance. Because here we all are, all shapes, sizes, ages, very few professional dancers, just people who want to get out, be in their bodies, experience the vulnerability of dancing, but dancing in such a big group and just having permission to mess up and enjoy the moment because it isn't a mess up. It's just self-acceptance. It's crazy powerful. That's all I can say. And so that really gave me the impetus for creating this book, which had absolutely no models for. I didn't, I'm, I was glad I never found a role model beside maybe chicken soup for the soul because I'm like, well, those are short stories. Right. They touched, they were my favorite series. I cried a joyful tears all the time during that series. So that probably was that conversation doing shake it for those years, which I hope to continue COVID stinkered away our calippers. And then, um, And then that experience of being able to teach through joy and knowing it worked from those rallies, because when we did the speeches, instead of passersby walking past, they came in. And that's, that said a lot to me. Um, So that's where, that's where this book kind of came from. Any questions on that? Did I take a through line through there? No, I, I'll just follow up by saying, so it's not a book about eating disorders. Okay, here's my passion on the book. The book is the full spectrum of eating issues and body image issues. And that ranges anywhere from air quotes, normal, 
up through clinical eating disorders. And why I wanted that were it was twofold. Number one, if someone's struggling with something reportedly minor or normal, shouldn't, if eating disorders are the most serious of eating and body issues, whatever helped them, even though it's different than, you know, just dieting, even though an eating disorder is different, but what helped them will probably help someone on the other side of the spectrum, the mild spectrum. That was one reason. The other reason is we have such a diet-minded society that it's normal to have disordered eating. And some people, many, many people that I know, and I want to know if, if this is your experience, many people I know think they failed at dieting, think that they just need to get thinner to have a better attitude about their body. They don't realize they actually had the button pushed to have an eating disorder. They were vulnerable and didn't know they actually fell into it. They just think they're still doing healthy excuse me, doing healthy things, um, trying to get thinner, trying to find the right diet, trying to get the most healthy diet and not realizing that it's actually become a huge obstacle and wall in front of the life that they actually want to be living. The life that the diet or the health diet or the changing the body they thought promised them. And that's where I want to, you're a clinician also. Do you notice that people will not notice that they've actually gotten sick. They still think they're doing really healthy things. Well, that's an interesting aspect of the book because you share your story in the book too and talk about how for years you, you called it your maintenance program yeah. and, and, and how much that got in the way of your ability to really live a full life. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that it was smart to make it be more comprehensive because in reading it, it's almost like, I can't imagine that there is that any female might pick it up and not see something about their own experience in terms of their relationship with food or their relationship to their body. Thank you. There's males in there too. And um, there's males, yep. Because we're like we're all affected. The, we all get pressure to have almost the opposite shape that nature intended. So th thank you so much for that. I did. Uh, the outreach from the eating disorder, like even the words eating disorder, when I was trying to find a home for Shake It, the first year was Eating Disorder Awareness Week. And even when I said those words to different private venues, their response was very uncomfortable or they just didn't respond at all. I did get to find out that it makes people uncomfortable. So I thought, my gosh, this is one of the reasons we're doing this kind of pep rally is to destigmatize those words so I think that there is a lot of outreach that we have left to do to kind of take away the sting of mental health titles and just look at us as people. We're people, wherever anyone falls on that spectrum, we're all people struggling. And though our behaviors or our causes or the things that make us keep it up may be different, what's underneath is for me often so much more similar than different on the, just a human experience. So I wanted to do outreach. I, I didn't know how to get to people who might turn around and walk away if you say the word eating disorder. So I didn't want to make the book about eating disorders. And that gets back to sort of your, your question for me, which is, do I see people that are struggling and don't know what they're struggling with? And I would say, yes, that's true. I think everyone is struggling. And most of us aren't sure of what we're struggling with. <laughs> 
And it might be, it might be an eating disorder, or it might just be struggling with self-esteem or there. And there are people who actually feel like they eat, as you say, quote unquote, normally, but they don't like their body anyway. And that, you know, in five more pounds, I'll like it. In another, I'll cut out another group of foods and I'll feel better. I'll feel healthier. Yes. And oh my gosh, you just said it so well. We don't, we often actually just don't know what we're struggling with. So as you know, I have um, mindfulness meditation training as well. So I was really drawn to the title of the book, Meaningful, because one of the ways to understand and have more meaning in your life is to, you know, reflect on and come to give yourself some time and attention so you understand what you, what you do struggle with rather than this need to be busy, busy, busy and doing things all the time, which is a big part of, you know, people are often busy dieting and not living their life as, as, you, as you and others describe in the book. Mm-hmm. And in, I was curious for you, because as, as you've mentioned that, the very first story talks about how the mom was busy, 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 doing, doing, doing. And a couple of the things, this is not a bait and switch. These really are the ways that people conquered. And the book breaks them down into digestible, no pun intended, um, steps. But you, it's like a story. You can pick or choose what you want to take from it. And the very first story is right up your alley in that what were two of her biggest solutions? Mindfulness meditations and gratitude. The practice of both were two of the things that saved her from her emotional eating and helped her triumph. Right. Actually, as I was looking at it, I was trying to think of some of the common themes that came up that over and over, it seemed like as different people told their story, you know, this idea that, you know, needing to ask for help, needing to turn inside and to understand themselves better and know, I mean, over and over, even in uh, at the end of each story, you kind of weigh in, you, you put notes from yourself and, you know, you're always emphasizing, this is a journey, a unique journey. Everyone has to find their own way. And it, and I, and I hear you, what you, what you offer by telling so many stories, you have a huge range of, of options that people can, can pursue, but that idea of, you know, acceptance of the way things are, um, there's just a lot from the sort of mindfulness, the spirit of mindfulness that comes up. And then I forget at what point, but at one point you kind of go in there though and you say, you were grappling with whether or not this is even a mainstream intervention or... The, yes, that is a common theme throughout the book. Oh, you mean mindfulness is a mainstream interview? Yes. Yes. Um, toward the end, uh, there's a gal who started yoga as a very, very young child, a toddler. And it was because her mom couldn't afford um, childcare. And yet it, for her, it inspired a lifelong love of yoga and meditation. And um, repeat what you just said was that, oh yes, the I really struggle with saying that they're not traditional approaches, but sometimes when it comes to traditional approaches to body dissatisfaction and weight and diet, think, let me ask you, what are gonna be the, what are gonna be first line traditional approaches if you're dissatisfied with your body, what's the approach? 
yeah, start to look at the, you know, limiting the food and, and assessing the food that you're eating. You're not healthy. What's one of the first things they want you to do? Look at your food. Yeah. Your weight, you feel like you're, you're told that your weight is quote unquote obese or overweight when, you know, we have elite athletes measuring out in that um, weight zone, whatever. But your first thing is change your weight. So those are kind of the traditional that I see as the more conventional advice giving to solve these problems. And so we keep trying, but really where I see the true solving is through a lot of different self-compassion methods, getting to know ourselves, connectedness, we are not alone. The format that the book was created, the first section is called discoveries. And each person goes through their story and then they actually break it down to, here's what I think helped get me better. Step by step by step by step. And then at the end, as I said, this all formed as I was kind of, I workshopped this for three years and I have the most patient, amazing friends. Like, I cannot believe they didn't fire me as their friend when I'm like, can you read it again? (laughs) But I learned that at the end, there were still things that were untied or things that I hadn't clarified or themes that I hadn't unified. And so that note from Allie is conventionally, here's probably what would be suggested. But in this story, you can see that the conventional suggestion of improving or maximizing your health by doing this really got the person very ill, got their life ill, got their life quality of life limited. What they had to do to make it better were these things. If any of those resonate with you, here are some references. Please feel free, look it up. Here's some keywords to, to go on the internet and search it. Grow, like, I guess that's what I want the most out of this book is to offer people ways to grow their lives in ways that feel meaningful to them. And that changes as we evolve. Like you said, I had a maintenance practice. I really thought that I was going to let my maintenance practice kill me. And I was okay with it. Like when my heart fluttered, when I was, you know, doing different restrictive diets, working out insanely, people always admired how much I worked out at the gym and how strong my arms were. And I'm like, dude, I can't stop. I'm compelled, man. You know, like I, but I couldn't tell them that that's shameful. So, um, I think that we go through different stages. And one of the reasons I'm so passionate about recovery is I never expected to have a full and free life where food didn't have a lot of energy, if any, and it doesn't, it's contented. Like it's a contented, meaningful, purposeful life. It's not perfect. No one's is perfect, but I had so many years of food taking up the real estate in my brain, my body take. And I don't mean that in a vanity way, but like a truly obsessive way. When you, when your nutrients get wonky, your brain gets wonky. So what do you think, what's the meaning you place behind the the popularity of dieting? What are people trying to do? Well, I think that there are industries that are trying to survive that continue to prey primarily on women, but also on men. Um, And I don't mean that like, that's very kind of factual to me. I truly, I truly do believe like we would put, if we put the beauty or diet industry out of business, we would harm so many families. So I think there's that piece. I think that there is the way that our ideals from when we're very, very young, our growth charts, our quote unquote, healthy weight. Um, So one person's healthy weight may be different than another person's healthy weight, but we're kind of shoved into this one area 
And so I think that what drives dieting is a want for safety, a want for acceptance, a want for health, to feel safe again. Um, and sometimes for self-esteem to finally feel good enough, but gosh, darn it. Every time I get, try to get to that goal or I get close to it, I notice I don't magically feel good enough. So I'll pick a new goal instead of looking at other ways that maybe we need to grow vocabulary or get more clear with what we're thinking. Hearing what our brain thinks can be shameful sometimes, but if we don't push it away and we listen to it, we can learn how to let it serve us. Does that make sense? It does. It does. So what are some of the key takeaways where people avenue to doing that, to feeling, you know, to getting to that place? Getting to which place? So that their, their life feels meaningful. So that they get, they get away from that um, when they're constantly striving for something and they get there and it doesn't feel quite right. Oh man, that is a really good question. So it's kind I, of like that not good enough, nothing ever really being good enough. I, I guess it goes back to, again, I, there was whether, whether the language was there or not, the stories had this sense of like making peace with the way their body was, making peace with the kind of life they had, that sort of acceptance that maybe there it. is, yes, that there's nothing Maybe there isn't anything out there that's yeah. going to make me feel better. Well, it's interest, It's interesting you say that. There's a just a quick personal story that pops up, and I mention it briefly in, in my own version, which, by the way, I felt it was only fair to put, like, if I'm going to get stories from all these people, I just thought, well, I've done all of the eating disorders. I've done you know, of the adult eating disorders. And I've done most of my other funky non-clinical stuff. So why don't I open the book? <laughs> Which was very uh, brave of you. Yes. Thank you. I mean, it's, it was definitely challenging because as a therapist, you know, I don't want to like unleash everything. No, no, no. I, I w- always want to protect my people from knowing too much so that, that it would get in the way. Mm-hmm. Um, wait, wrap my brain back to where we just were. Oh, my story. So um, Joy was, uh, this is a little bit vulnerable to admit, but I have no problem admitting it. And I have no idea why this keeps dinging because I've turned it off multiple times. Um, so I did not think that I was capable of feeling joy. Does that make sense? Like it just, I was like, what is this thing everybody talks about? Mm-hmm. And so I just kind of leaned into it and I had been free of the eating disorder stuff for a long time. And I was like, you know what? Maybe that's just not me. Maybe I'm just really purposeful. And, um, you know, maybe that my life is more about feeling fulfilled than joyful. And then I was having an experience and I was witnessing everyone uniting and everyone having a good time in this little location where people were not speaking. It's a long story how it happened, but it was just something silly. And I just had no shame about it. And by the end of the night, everyone that was there that was separate was united. We all had glow sticks on the dance floor. Just, it was a silly birthday. And I gave everyone who walked in the door pieces of cake and offered them hats. And so it didn't matter who you were or where you came from. And at that moment, that was probably one of the moments where I thought, oh my gosh, this is joy. This feeling is joy. And so I think it was just giving myself kind of permission 
to notice, oh, well, you know what? Maybe that's just not my thing and being okay with it. So for you, Joy had, there was a lot of components to Joy though, like the connection with the other people, yeah. the, 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 the space you were yeah. all sharing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm a complicated little Joy person. It, it, it really, <laughs> shake it for self-acceptance. The Joy, I will tell you that every time we finish a rehearsal and somebody who's super perfectionistic is jumping up and down, smiling when they can't remember the routine. And we look at each other and we all get back to the routines together. And like, cause I used to be such a perfectionist. I remember one day I was doing it the wrong direction. And usually I'd kind of beat myself up and I was like, why is everybody go? Oh, it's me. And I just fell over laughing and then just jumped right back in. And so I, I think you're right. I have a very complex way of arriving at joy, but boy, is it a special feeling. And so I guess I would say to anyone listening, you know, and this is a little bit away from the book per se, but lean in, get to know who and where you are. And in much of that, I, I'm not necessarily, you know, a, a mindfulness practitioner, and you could probably explain it much better than me. But I think that there's a piece of recognizing inside, if we have a quality we don't like, let's unpack it because I bet you on the other side, there's a way that it really helps and serves too. getting to know who we are in a compassionate way. And then if we don't like pieces, we can either see, okay, can I accept that? Do I need to change? You know what I mean? But like just leaning in and being able to, with compassion, learn ourselves. It also makes it much easier for people to be in relationship with us because then we become so much safer when we know who we are. We know our boundaries. We know how to laugh when somebody, you know, when, when it's appropriate and we know when someone hurts our feelings and can name it, but that takes a while and eating issues of any kind separate us. I believe from our bodies sensations, our gut, that sense that we can trust. Uh, we kind of lose even our ability to feel full or hungry. We lose an awareness to feel different gut feelings that are actually a beautiful guides. Right. Right. Even in your story, you talk about at one point needing to like start over, start learning how to eat again and, <laughs> and, 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 and getting to a place where you were, you were going to just try to listen to your, stay connected to your body and listen to your body and see what your body was craving. Maybe you could share what you were craving. Cause it's kind of funny. Oh, I was so upset. I was like, I was listening and waiting and I was like, okay, when I hear my body, it's going to be something cool. I wonder if it's going to be like a cinnamon roll or something cool. Freaking spinach. (laughs) (laughs) That is the first craving that I ever had. And I remember it so specifically because I was so mad. I was like, what a dumb thing to notice to crave. And then when my lab work came back, I was borderline anemic. And I thought, my gosh, my body's so smart when it craves ice cream, when it like when it craves whatever it craves, it craves it for a reason, reason. And if it's not restricted for most people, listen, there's always going to be a percentage that things don't work for and that do work for. But I can truly say that for so many people, what once had so much power and what they binged on when they learned how to allow it to be with them and listen to their body, it lost its power. And so those foods can be around without, they can go stale even in the cupboard without having power. 
And now you're, make sense? It does make sense. I think what you're 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 hitting on another another thing, which kind of goes with the title of the book, meaningful. Like there, we can all feel full. I think we're trying to fill ourselves up because there's a sense of scarcity, and there's a sense of um, cert, certain things are, you know not acceptable. So we we're, there's deprivation and scarcity and everybody trying to like, you know, how are we going to fill ourselves up? And yeah. so when you, when you talk about that, I think, um, you know, that's a really important point because deprivation, it's like telling someone not to think about something then all they can do is think about that one thing. Don't think about an elephant. Right. <laughs> elephant. Yeah. Darn it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, meaningful has has different meanings to different people. And it's funny, as as the book formed itself, because it really did just form from workshopping and I've thrown it out. I mean, there's just been it, it really was quite a relationship with me in that book for about three years. Um, but the one thing I always knew was the title. It was the funniest, weirdest thing. That was just the one thing that in my body felt so very, very settled. It was always meaningful. What does that mean for you? Meaningful means full of stories of different people to offer to other people. It means full of life, whatever life is that I want, that you want, that we want, that, you know, obviously that doesn't necessarily harm other people, but I mean a full brimming life that you value living, that you feel contented. I, I have a little bit of a problem with the word happy because I think it's outside of the bell curve. And so that means the other side will happen also. But contented is so in the bell curve. If you wake up every day to something that feels meaningful that you can think about, and whether that is you know, burying your face in your cat's belly for a while, and that just brings you just that splotch of connectedness and relief and love for a moment that can be meaningful. If you need to make a big flash dance that, you know, flash mob that makes that just makes people have fun in their bodies like that. Like for me, that was meaningful for someone else that would be either silly or overwhelming or whatever, but it just felt so darn purposeful. It took about a year to create. So I did. This book feels meaningful. If it helps I tried to promise myself, if it helps one person, then that's enough. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise it, you lose the sense of why you wrote it. It's not about the numbers. It's about if it, if it helps. And one of the beta readers said, Hey, I'm actually going to go to a specialist therapist because I've struggled with food in my body my whole life. And, you know, I want to say this to the, to the listeners, um, your doctors, dietitians, and therapists can check the box that we specialize in eating and body image issues, but please ask about the training because really anyone can say that they specialize, but they actually may have been trained in making whatever you're struggling with worse. They may be pulling from their own history. They may be wanting to suggest things that could make you feel more deprived and worse in life. So really be careful about who you ask to support you and help you understand if you have a complex relationship with food. And, and um, you know, this is not necessarily a training thing, but somebody who's not going to make you feel ashamed or worse about it, because let's be honest, you found things that helped you. 
maybe they hurt you. Maybe you put on some weight, maybe they damaged your health, but you know what? They helped you survive up till now. So let's honor you for being a smart little person. You know, I was about to say something so, like kind of pet name me. And I'm like, that's not cool on this. <laughs> so be, you know, just, I want to appreciate the resourcefulness of all of us. Like we find our way to survive. It just sometimes backfires at some point. And that's when you said earlier, you asked me a question about how do we know when we're on the way, when you notice something backfired or it's not right, just keep seeking. So I'm going to go back again to your shake it flash mob thingy, mob mob thingy. And, and ask you about that because yeah. um, listeners wouldn't know this, but it's 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 in your in your book that as a little girl you didn't do a lot of sports, so you didn't do. So I think it's kind of interesting that you know you spend all this time dieting, but you um, you're so. What's fascinating to me is you tell your story at the beginning, and then your mom tells her version of what it was like to be your mother you know, why you had the eating disorder. And she, she talks about how as a little girl, you've got glasses when you were young and yeah. you really, really couldn't do much in terms of sports. So oh, then no. it's like, so what's so interesting to me is you spend all this time, you know, dieting, it's a lot of body focused things and you hadn't had much experience with sports, but you found a way to do something meaningful where you're moving your body. And speaking, I've always found dance to be a language that it doesn't matter if you speak Spanish, French, um, any, whatever you speak, when you have movement, we're all speaking the same thing. And so that's what I've always felt that way about dance. It's just speech without words. Hmm. So, how, so how did those, how did they, those run then? Do you, do you pick the music and all of that or how? Oh, Shake It, um, Shake it is um, amazing. I, I want to loop back just to one thing on the section so that the listeners understand this. Sure. So it starts with discoveries, which is what we what we discovered and how we got out of out of whatever it was, whether it was body image, whether it was, um, you know, eating, emotional eating, binge eating, whatever. Second section is insights. And that is the gosh, if only I had known this might have been different. And so we all the, in that that is the hindsight of the storytellers that offers you insight so that if you choose to go down that road, we've at least told you. <laughs> and then the third section is called connections, because to me, eating issues separate us from people. In some ways, it bonds us because we have a diet mentality and we can all talk about what food, what calories. Oh, I'm so guilty for having this, blah, blah, blah. But really, it ends up separating us. And so the third section connections is how much we are seen, how much people don't know what to do, what to say, what eggshells they're on. So often somebody wants to be there for you and they just don't know how, whether it's a teacher, whether it's someone who notices that you might have some energy around food or you might've suddenly dropped weight or gained weight. All, when our bodies change, it might be a message. I mean, it's another way of speaking sometimes. So um, on the connections piece, yes, my mom is actually the final story in the book. And I'm so grateful to her because I, was, I wanted parents to also have permission to not kick themselves in the tookie when they don't know. My mom did the best she could, but I'm, you know, nearly 50. So when this happened, the, you know, over two decades I had, I started so young. They had really just kind of discovered the whole Karen Carpenter, 
People Magazine stuff and this word anorexia nervosa. So there wasn't well-informed treatment out there. And my mom also had her own illness. So, you know, that distracted her from being able to be the mom that maybe she could have been. And she talks about that. Um, but I, I just want to tell parents like, you know what, sometimes we don't know. And sometimes that just has to be not necessarily okay, but it is what it is. And you can still work through stuff and have some sort of a connection and love and care. That's such an important point because you're also making the point that there are professionals that don't know. Thank you. Oh, for so compassionately pointing that out. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, there's so few people in the world who really want to harm. We're all do. I really, we're doing our best. We're doing what we think is the best and the right thing. Most of us. Right. So, yeah, I want, and you know what, for people who get these struggles, I want them to, to have that passion, compassion also about, okay, you know, I, maybe I don't have all the answers, but maybe there's more tools I can throw into my toolbox and maybe this one becomes less powerful. Maybe it's not the only thing I rely on anymore, or maybe if I don't like it, I can get rid of it. But if you don't have anything to replace it with, how are you going to get rid of it? Right. And if you have to replace, place it before you can get rid of some unhealthy strategies, where are you going to get the strategies? And that's, that's where sharing these stories is powerful. Thank you. Thank you. And it was really important to me when I was collecting, I actually just went by gut because after so many years of not having a gut sense, um, this book was really just led by instinct. And, and I sincerely mean that. And I know that sounds kind of woo woo, but like I went through my head about who do I, who does my, who does my body feel like it might have a story? Cause I've had connections with so many people in so many different areas of my life. And some people I reached out to, I barely knew we'd crossed paths, I, but something inside said, reach out in the end, it ended up being a beautiful array of human beings from different cultures, different backgrounds, but that wasn't I was definitely looking for kind of different experiences of struggles, which I, again, how could I plan that? Because people are so secretive, you can't really know, but it just all worked out. And that's where I'm like, oh, so this book must, even though it was really like challenging, it must have been meant because the important pieces of it were like gifts from the universe. They were that easy. Now, the parts that were supposed to be really easy. But that's also the spirit of the book is just kind of going along with the way things really are instead of trying to perfect or control or use some formula that's going to, you know, get you there without having to have a real experience. Can I ask, um, would you mind if I ask you a question? No. Which one stands out like for you? Did, did one really kind of leave, leave stuck with you? I think that's what I liked about it. I mean, every single story has its own, like I, I loved the, the story with uh, yoga, like her mom <laughs> couldn't get daycare. So she's like a, this little girl, she's got to go to the yoga class and all of that. And, and I, I loved, I loved how everybody just had their own, their own version and that it's such a variety. I, I like that the um, one, one of the, the men talks about how not seen he, it can be because it's, if you're a male in a male body that, you know, it goes back again to you saying that 
how much we miss and how much, you know, we are in denial ourselves or don't know that our, that some way that our relationship to food is problematic. We, we might not know it ourselves. People that love and care for someone might not know, or they might have a feeling, but not know what to say or do. There are professionals who are trying to help. Absolutely. Don't necessarily, you know, as you said, you should go to somebody who's been to a recent conference, who's just on top of all the latest because information's changing all the time. If we looked at treatment back when I did go to treatment, my parents were aware they knew something was wrong because I did that drastic, you know, weight shift. Mm -hmm. I went to treatment and it was so blaming that it actually damaged my relationships with my family. And it, and it was just so blaming that it ended up being a pretty harmful experience, but thank goodness so much has evolved. I mean, I am a professional in the field. I love how much has evolved from this. Right. What do you think's helped bring up the evolution? Um, I think part of it is the story. I think that people telling their stories are a big piece. Um, I think that research, you know, even though we don't have a lot of funding for our kind of research, I think research has helped. I think people seeing, you know, there are a lot of studies and granted we can find studies that support and don't support many things, but there are also studies that really show that dieting won't necessarily long-term work for a majority of people. A majority of people will return to the body that they were naturally, you know, genetically destined to, or that environment and genetics have get, so I think just the evolution of that, I think the trends in mental, I love that you're asking me things I really haven't thought about, but the trends in mental health, um, what am I missing? You're a clinician also. What am, what am I missing? Um, well, I don't know, but it's I, interesting. I mean, you asked me about the stories, like they're all, what I think I appreciate is they're, they're all struggled with something similar, but they're it's each, each has a very unique story. And I, and I, you know, I do think that that's important um, as much as we're all connected to each other. I think that's one of the, the threats is that people feel like they, they don't want their story to be assumed to be just like everybody else's. And that, that was nicely handled in the book. Thank you. And that's one of the reasons, well, I would never, for me, I wouldn't think about doing a memoir because for, for so many reasons, but I thought, why would I be another voice when there are already so many memoirs, when I really want to teach people how these struggles look different and that no culture is immune and that no gender is immune and that we all as human beings tend to struggle with different areas of self-acceptance. This is focused on body image and weight and dieting and eating disorders. Um, but I think, again, I just think that we were all trying to find how to live a more meaningful, full, contented life. And something interesting I wanted to share with you, although this is absolutely not an academic book, because um, for me, I wrote it and I've, I've only written academic. So <laughs> again, the things that should have been easy were so not should, but the things that one would have thought would be easy. I had to learn how to write outside of academics and that conversational is really different. Mm -hmm. So um, I really believe in education that doesn't sound like education. 
I love when I can walk away from somebody communicating something and I've learned a ton of things, but I don't never felt preached at or condescended to. So what I want to share with you is this book actually made it into a couple of academic courses now because it covers, there's very few things that cover the full spectrum of the issues all the way from non-clinical to clinical. And again, eating disorders are different, but that portal of getting there, it's often looks, looks the same or is a risk factor or at least correlative with the dieting. Um, so to have this book that is known as not being academic be put into a couple of academic courses, I hope that that keeps happening. I'd love for general therapists to read it because if I could get my wish, I used to go around and lecture for free about this. Yes, I just said that for free. I would travel all over the place just because I was so passionate about mental health clinics asking after, you know, when was your last physical? Cause we want to rule out that your symptoms are not from something physical. Are you eating? Are you eating three times a day? Are you eating snacks? Because if we are not having regular fuel, it can look like sometimes, or we're purging. It can look like maybe bipolar, depending. It can look like borderline. It can look like depression. It can look like anxiety when it might be exacerbated by the, the eating funkiness. It might be fully caused by. So clinicians, I do think are often missing actual correct diagnoses by not asking, hey, is your rage and your anger maybe coming from the fact that you don't eat for 14 hours, you go to bed and you don't eat the next day until two and you get super cranky and scream at people on the road? Maybe you don't really have rage. Maybe you're hangry. Let's do an experiment. Let's see if you're still rageful right. after breakfast. Right. right, right. And maybe they will be. Right. It, it goes back to like, you know, I think it was probably more than one of the stories where, where people were talking about, you know, isolation, just isolating themselves. Or, you know, I think even in your story, just like not wanting to go to certain events and things. So right. like, again, it goes back to what you're saying. It, it, it interferes with connection, you know, connection, quality of life, laughter. How do you laugh when you're stressed out? Yeah. I think you talk about that or talk about laughter as a sign, like a sign of <laughs> one of the moms is, yeah. knew her daughter was back when her daughter giggled, uh, like just uncontrollably mm -hmm. giggled at a dinner table. And right. it's that magical moment of oh, my girl's back. Yeah. Yeah. That's so sweet. So let me, I'm going to let you go soon, but I wanted, I just wanted to ask you, I'm just curious about the people. Like you, you mentioned briefly how you got the people, but What's the sort of backstory behind how you reached out? Are these people that you had worked with yourself or these people that you'd met through conferences or how did you find oh, them? Oh my goodness. These are people, I've had such an adventurous life. These are just people that I've met along my journeys um, that some were from people that other people had met and knew that they would want to be a part of something like this. Nobody got paid. In fact, um, I tried to make their lives easy in the fact that I would either like, I'm like, I can do an interview and transcribe the interview, write the first draft from what we've written, but it's got to go back and forth until it serves the book and is your truth. Some people wrote their own drafts and then we bounce back and forth because I had no idea what I was truly doing. I mean, I wouldn't say no idea, but in all truth, I was really feeling my way to how to figure out how to do this. 
And um, so some of these stories bounced back and forth for almost a year. One of the ladies and I joke that it went almost back to the, its, to its original condition when we finally, <laughs> so truly the people um, were who I was absolutely blessed, trusted me enough with their story to allow their story to possibly positively affect someone else. And that was actually their payoff. Like, cause they're, and it was so beautiful because that's what they said. They're like, yeah, you know, and for those who were anonymous, they wanted to make sure that they were, you know, not identifiable, but like, and then the, some people claim their names um, in, at the book release. One person was talking about how she know whether or not to use her name. You know, do I put this out in the world? How much does it damage me? And so really just how I got these people, I couldn't even tell you, except that I just went by gut and I was persistent and respectful and tried to make sure that they knew that they could trust me and their content along the way. And, and that's how it ended up going. Everyone signed off. And even the publisher was super flexible about how I needed to honor any promises that I'd made to them. And so I guess that's, that's my best, most transparent answer is just persistence and an idea and being really brave and asking someone if they're willing to give a few hours of their lives and a few revisions. Well, I had no idea how many revisions. <laughs> Fortunately, they, they didn't know either. So they did it and nobody quit. Oh, that's good. That's and good. one even thanked me. It was a hole. It was something buried so deep. And I have no idea how I knew to ask this person but they thanked me for having it make much more sense. Mm. They got some healing from being able to tell the story. Right. So as a psychologist, I can't, it's not lost on me that each of the people that shared their story made the experience more, the experience, whatever experience they had with body image or, or weight or dieting gave meaning to that, that time of suffering or, or difficulty or getting their story out or bringing in a new view of what they went through, wanting someone else to not go through what they went through or just give enough information. I had never boiled down because I didn't have, you know, uh, plotted out treatment. I'd never boiled mine down to how the heck did I get better? So it's, it's just so different. So even for me, it was incredibly healing yeah. to look at how does, how did I, but my story won't be, you know, if you had an issue ever, that won't be your story, but maybe there are pieces. If someone, I know someone else who's else's story, ours look very little alike, but there's still pieces. Right. Right. And the very fact that, you know, having these kinds of issues disconnects you from others, yeah. you, you really benefit from being able to, in the privacy of your own home, you can hear other people's other people's stories and that it's super important for me to say as you said that um, I never none of these are clients I like that is not I would not do that so and many of the stories talk about someone who happens to be an eating disorder therapist not me nope and these again these were things I actually didn't I learned so much through through people allowing me to be in their lives and learn about their stories so I'm super blessed. Like they were amazing for what they've given. And this is not just my book. And again, this is about connection. Um, it's kind of like doing a flash mob alone. It's, it's the whole, every one of us. And then all the proofreaders, all the beta readers, everybody who spent hours and gave me notes, 
I tried to keep track for years of everyone who helped out with any piece of the book so that they could be thanked at the end because it, it took a whole community. It's a weird little book, but I, I'm so happy. I love like, I love what it became and what it shares and new ideas that are offered without forcing anyone. There's no plan, no program. I think it, I think it will mean a lot to people that pick it up. I think it'll speak to them. And I think going back to, again, when I asked you earlier, what has, what has helped things evolve? And it, I think it's books like this. I think it's access to more stories in a way that, you know, in a way that's open. So it's not prescribed. Like, it's not like, here's, here's a book. You go read this book, go home and do the five steps. It's, it's, it's really about, you know, finding your way and connecting to yourself and others. And yeah, great life lessons. I like the way you divided the three sections. That's helpful. And yeah, so I just, I hope lots of people read it. I hope you get continue because I know you've had great feedback already. I hope you get continue to get good feedback. And before I let you go, I want to give you a chance to just share if there's anything you're kind of working on now or any updates on things. You know, thank you so much for asking. Um, COVID has been quiet and I've learned that I actually like quiet, which has been, I wouldn't say I like COVID at all because it's been horrendous and, and people, you know, have gone through a lot, but learning the quiet of it has been nice. So I have, I, I didn't keep up my energetic flow, So, I'm, but I'm kind of like a dog to a bone when something sparks me. I'll just keep coming back to it. Like my head won't let it. It's really interesting. My head won't let it go. And that has not yet hit. Um, but I look forward to, I can feel something's coming because I I'm looking. Um, but no, but something you had said before we even started recording meant so much to me. And I just thank you for it. You said that something in this book, the way that this book was written inspired you and it may affect how you write something. And that is the coolest most, that's what I mean by meaningful. That to me, that was the, I'm like, the eyes, my eyes are swelly because that meant so much. And I agree with you. If we start telling stories from, you know, from just different viewpoints, vulnerable viewpoints, safe viewpoints, uh, giving people choice viewpoints, I think we'll just keep growing. And that loops back to when I, when you said, you know, how did we change as a field? How's the knowledge change and I think that we all just are curious and we keep evolving through curiosity. At least I hope that's it. That's what I think it is. Oh, I'm going to leave it at that. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for inviting me. This has been a joy.